Well, welcome to Grace Wave Baptist Church and our Sunday School lesson that we're going to present on April 25th. And um, we are going to ask a question today that I think is one of the best questions uh, ever. This is one of those things that I think is really going to be helpful to a lot of God's people because we don't know as New Testament Christians what we're supposed to do with the law of God. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, tells us that all scripture is given by inspiration of God. Well, that's one of the things that we as evangelical conservative Christians, uh, we really like that. That makes sense. The word of God is inspired. It's the only thing that's inspired by God. And the word inspired literally means God breathed, theonoustos. Now, the next part of the verse is a little bit problematic for some of us. And that is, not only is the word of God inspired, but it is profitable. And keep in mind, when Paul was writing that to Timothy, there was no New Testament to speak of. It had not been completed. It wasn't put together as a body. It wasn't put together in a, a book or anything like that. There were some letters that Paul and some others had written, but that was about it. And uh, what was he speaking of then? Well, it has to be the Old Testament. Here's a problem for us. If the Old Testament is inspired by God, and it is, and if it is profitable, and it is, then what do we do with all of it? Now, the law of God is divided into uh, three parts, let's say. One of them is the civil law. There were certain things that were uh, applicable to national government in Israel, things like taxes and that kind of stuff. There was also, and we don't live in ancient Israel, so that wouldn't apply. We obey the laws of our land. Um, there was also the ceremonial law. And the ceremonial law, the things like uh, killing lambs and certain feasts and all of that, the ceremonial law all pointed to Christ, prophetic pictures of what Christ would do as our atonement. So the civil law for ancient Israel, the ceremonial law was fulfilled in Christ, right? And then there is the moral law of God, which is still intact, still there. So it's Old and New Testament. Uh, there's a difference in the New Testament, when you read about uh, Peter being up on the roof and the sheet coming down and God telling him uh, with the animals on it, remember, kill and eat, and Peter is just horrified. I've never eaten anything unclean, and God says what I've called clean, don't call common or unclean. And uh, the law of the food, like eating shrimp and things like that, that was a part of the ceremonial law. It's not an immoral thing. It never was. 
And it wasn't a civil thing. It wasn't a criminal act to eat shrimp. It was a part of the ceremonial law of God. That's all been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Now, when you look at the moral law, that's the part of the law that points out our failure to live up to what God says. We'll make reference to this later on. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. What does it mean to come short of the glory of God? Morally, we are flawed. Morally, we are messed up. All of us are. And all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So when we ask this question, it's really important for us to kind of get this. What then is the purpose of the law? Since no one can keep the law, what is its purpose? Well, the answer in the New City Catechism is that we may know the holy nature and will of God and the sinful nature and disobedience of our hearts and thus our need of a Savior. The law also teaches and exhorts us to live a life worthy of our Savior. So when we uh, think about the law, consider this. If it were not for the revelation of God in the law, the moral precepts of God, you and I would never see our need of a Savior. We would walk through life thinking, I'm okay, you're okay, everything's cool. And uh, then we'd find out after death that it wasn't cool and that we're in a lot of trouble and um, condemned for eternity in hell. So God, in his gracious, merciful, loving way, has put the law down so that some of the things that we look at and uh, we say, well, I'm not, a, I'm not a Jew living in ancient Israel, so that, that's not what applies to me. And I'm not a Jew today that I'm living under the ceremonies of the law, all of those things that would be taught. But as a Gentile 21st century American, I am under the moral law of God. And so uh, what happens when I compare my life to the Ten Commandments? Can the Ten Commandments save me if I keep nine out of ten or eight out of ten or even six out of ten? Is that enough? Is that going to get me into heaven? Is that what God requires? Well, there are some people, of course, that think so. But actually what they do is they bring conviction to the heart and to the soul that I've sinned, I've fallen short of God's glory, and I therefore need a Savior. And that's why Ray Comfort with uh, Living Waters, whenever uh, some of you have been here long enough to remember when we showed some of his videos on Wednesday night, it was amazing to watch people that he would interview off of the streets in Los Angeles, and he would talk to them about uh, sin and the Savior and what's right or wrong, and they would have this 
snarky, flippant attitude about things until he would ask them questions. Have you ever told a lie? Have you ever stolen anything regardless of its value? What do we call someone who doesn't tell the truth? Boy, they could hardly spit out the word liar. When uh, they would say, when he would ask them, what do you call someone who steals? And they would, you know, have to really work at it to say, well, a thief. And what it was doing was bringing conviction to their heart. The look on their face changed, their attitude changed. And what he was able to do was then tell them how God, in grace and love and mercy, sent his son to save lying thieves like them. And uh, some of them actually did trust the Lord. Some of them, you could tell, were thinking about it. It brings conviction. This is the purpose of the law. So as we uh, move on in the lesson, we have our scripture here in Romans chapter uh, 3, verse 20. It says, For by works of the law, no human being will be justified, that means saved, or declared righteous in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. The law reveals sin in our life. So here are our points that we want to look at. First of all, understand that the law reveals God's standard. Without the law of God, what we have is a maybe a free-for-all, we might say. You do what you think is right, I do what I think is right, and everybody just kind of does what is right in their own eyes. Does that sound familiar? That's what the world really would like to have as a standard. You just do your truth, I'll do my truth. You live your way, I'll live my way. And yet that's what the book of Judges said that Israel did. In those days, there was no king in Israel and every man did what was right in his own eyes. You ever read the book of Judges? Horrible time to live. And you think about what life would be like if there were no laws. For example, even in things like traffic. Uh, let's go to India. And let's go there where it's basically kind of a free-for-all. I don't know how those people drive. I don't know how they keep from having wrecks. Um, it, it must be a mess to try to straighten it out when they do have a, a wreck or they, a pedestrian is hit or something like that. Because they just, like if there's a T intersection, they just all converge upon it and then just kind of work their way through. It's a mess. It's a mess. And when you come back from a place like India to the United States, it's kind of amazing. Everything seems to be so orderly and you understand what is going on and everybody knows what lane they're supposed to be in. They know when they're supposed to go, when they're supposed to stop. And it just is amazing the difference that you notice after you go to a place like that. Well, think about every man doing what is right in his own eyes. You see, if there's somebody that comes up and says, I don't see anything wrong with rape. What do you think is going to be the result of that? Someone else says, I don't think there's anything wrong with taking uh, what 
is in your home, in your living room, and using it for my benefit. Every man does what is right in his own eyes. You can see how terrible uh, that would be. And how do you ever punish a crime? How do you ever pass sentence on a crime? You really can't. You've got to have law, and you've got to have penalties, and you've got to have it to where, well, in our country, we talk about our goal is equal justice under the law. And uh, so we have those laws codified or written down, and we also have punishments with them. And uh, we all pretty well know what those things are, and it acts as a restraint upon us. Well, God's law, think about this, reveals God's standard. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 8 now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. Now, what does he mean by using it lawfully? A lawful way is the right way, the proper way, right? And so if um, there's some kind of a situation that um, I get into with another person and a cop comes up to straighten it out and then he says to me, what you've done is lawful. In other words, it's allowed by the law and it is the right thing to do. There's no punishment. It's lawful. Well, Paul tells Timothy that the law is to be used lawfully. What does that mean? To be used rightly or properly. And when we think about the law, the law was never designed to get us right with God. The law was designed to show God's high standard and what God requires. Think about that. This is what God requires. It's not me just doing my best and hoping it all works out. God said, no, this is what it is, and this is what you must do, keeping all of the law, all of the time, without exception. And it shows us the depravity of humans. We can't do it. We haven't done it, and we won't do it, no matter how hard we try. <clears throat> the law is kind of like maybe a mirror. You might want to think of it like this. If I go to the mirror, and the mirror shows that I've got a smudge of grease from working on the car or something like that on my face. I can see that when I look into the mirror. I don't know that I have it on me. I mean, I might guess, but I don't really know that for sure until I look in the mirror. But I would be a fool if I tried to wash my face with the mirror. That's not the purpose of the mirror. The mirror can't clean me the mirror can only reveal that I've got the smudge of grease on my face. Whatever it may be. You look at your clothes sometimes. Those of you who have hair, look at your hair. Um, the law is like a mirror. It can point out where something is wrong, but it can't fix it. It was never designed to fix or to redeem or to make people right with God. It's inadequate for doing that because it can't change the heart. What it does, it shows us our need of a Savior. Secondly, 
the law points to Christ. Romans chapter 10, verse 4 says, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. What does it mean, the end of the law? He is the destination. If you really look at the law of God, and you really want to be right with God, and you look into that law, you're going to see all of your flaws. You're going to see all of the brokenness in your life. And what does that do? It's going to lead you down a pathway to Jesus. Paul said in another place that the law is kind of like a, an escort or a, a tutor or a schoolmaster, I think it's used in some places. And this was the word that was used for the Roman slave that would take the child from the wealthy Roman household and take them to school and make sure that they got there and lead them to the right place. Well, that's what the law does. If you take the law and you use it lawfully, as we said in the last point, Paul says in this verse in Romans, it will lead you to Christ. You're going to see that you are a sinner and you're even more of a sinner than you thought you were. Some people have the idea that sin is just merely, yeah, I'm kind of messed up. I'm not as good as I really ought to be. And we all know that. We all know we're flawed and we're broken. But we look at other people and we see their flaws as being bigger than ours. And we see other people as being more broken than we are. And it makes us feel good about ourselves. But when we compare ourselves to the law of God, we find out that none of us, even the very best of us, none of us measure up to uh, God's holy and righteous standards. And so Christ is the end of the law or the destination of the law for righteousness. That's where you've got to go. And it's through faith in Jesus Christ that we are made righteous. So the quest of the right for righteousness, well, it ends when we trust Jesus Christ. We are given his righteousness, perfect righteousness, and that never changes. And so through faith in his atoning work on the cross, we are declared righteous or not guilty. And it is God's righteousness, not ours. Now, you ought to stop and think a little bit about that. God didn't just clean you up so that now there's a new and improved. I used to get aggravated at uh, commercials that would uh, say things like, are you going to wash your clothes in cheer? Oh, no, I don't use that anymore. What? You don't use cheer? No, I use new and improved cheer. Oh, what a cornball thing. And let me tell you, it would be an inadequate thing, too, if all God did was just make you better. God doesn't make you better. He gives you a completely new nature. And he also, on the record books of heaven, he declares you not guilty, and, and, and that gets rid of your sin. And then on the positive, he actually puts in that book all of the righteous works, acts, and deeds of Jesus Christ so that you have his righteousness on your record. Now, that's good. That's really, really good because 
As the rich young ruler and Jesus agreed, there is none good but God, right? And when you get God's goodness put on the record books of your life, then you're welcomed into heaven, just as Christ was welcomed into heaven. And all of this is just amazing to think about, the plan of God. And good theology makes all of this fit together, doesn't it? So you're a sinner. The law of God revealed your sin to you. That took you to Jesus Christ. And your faith in Jesus Christ cleansed you from sin and gave you the righteousness of God himself. Thirdly, the law brings conviction. In Romans chapter 3, verse 20, For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. Now, when you know that you're a sinner, when you really know that you're a sinner, there's one thing that happens. You fall under what we call conviction of sin. Now, conviction of sin means that uh, you, in a legal sense, understand and are aware of the fact that you have committed a crime against God. We talk about somebody that may be arrested. Maybe they're arrested for murder. Then they are arraigned. Then a trial date is set. And then the trial begins. Now, if the trial convinces the jury that you are guilty of murder, and they say we find the defendant guilty of first degree or whatever murder, then you are now a convicted, a convicted criminal. You are under conviction. And that's the word that we are using here to talk about sin. It's more than just feeling badly about sin, or even recognizing sin. It is the decree from the judge of the universe that you are guilty and you've been found guilty of the sin. And therefore, the penalty is an eternity in hell and the lake of fire. This is what wakens our conscience. This is what causes us to look at ourselves and our life and our actions differently than we did before. Well, when you're under conviction, you can't just laugh it off. You know, a person who commits a murder, uh, there may be a time when you see them where they're kind of flippant and kind of cocky and all of that. But if you've ever watched any courtroom proceedings or maybe seen on the news when um, a jury passes judgment upon a person, they seem to change whenever they hear the words, we find the defendant guilty. Or when the judge says, because you were guilty, I sentence you to death by lethal injection or something like that. Everything kind of changes in that situation. Well, I'll tell you, when I was 10 years old, I walked an aisle of a church Now, it was not my intent to be or to play the hypocrite. I walked the aisle thinking, well, this will make them happy. This is a good thing to do. 
But I had no real understanding of sin, and I really didn't have any brokenness over my sin. I just thought it was, uh, I'm joining a club, I guess. And I'll give the people there at that church the benefit of the doubt that they probably told me all the right things, and I prayed a prayer and filled out a card and later was baptized. But it wasn't until I was 22 years old that I came under conviction of sin. Boy, I was burdened, and I was broken by my own sin. And I really wasn't what anybody would call a bad person, but I had fallen short of the glory of God and the conviction of the Holy Spirit, the gavel coming down, saying, we find you guilty as charged. Boy, it hit me and it hit me hard. And I've noticed when people get saved that something happens when they feel the weight and the conviction of their sin. And that's the work of the law. Our hearts are wicked and they deceive us, according to Jeremiah 17, verse 9. And part of that deception is to say, I'm okay, I'm not that bad, I'm better than most, and I'm acceptable to God. But our heart's deception is revealed whenever we see the law. And that's why the falling short of Romans 3.23 is the broken law, and the Holy Spirit uses that to convict us of sin. See? And that's why Ray Comfort says, we need to use the Ten Commandments when we witness, because the law of God is what brings the conviction of sin. Sometimes we tell people a lot about the love of God. But you know what a lost sinner will do with that? Okay, well, if God's such a loving God, he would never send anybody to hell. You ever heard anybody say that? When you talk to people about the grace of God, you're saved by grace, not by your works. Um, I heard a person on the radio actually get angry about that. And they said, that's not fair to say that all of my good works don't count for anything and that somebody that is like an Adolf Hitler could be saved just like I would be saved, I reject that whole notion. Well, that's because they don't understand themselves and their sin. And the law of God is what brings the conviction of sin. I'm every bit as guilty before God as Adolf Hitler. Let that sink in. Every bit as guilty as Adolf Hitler, because he and I both have one thing in common. We are depraved sinners who have broken the moral law of God. Number four, the law was fulfilled by Christ perfectly for us. Perfectly for us. He didn't need it. He didn't need to come down here and live a life that was free from sin. He didn't need that. He did that for us. He died on the cross for us. I want to read you four verses out of Romans chapter 8. Beautiful, beautiful words. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. 
For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do, by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So we see that Christ is the unblemished Lamb who kept the law, and he did that perfectly, and he did that for us because we could not do it. And that's how we get righteous. The law of God is the tool that God uses to bring us under conviction and to faith in Jesus Christ. And when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, we receive his righteousness and his life, which makes us new creatures in Christ. So what's the purpose of the law since no one can keep it? Well, hopefully now you understand it a little better and you understand what God's plan is and why the Old Testament, even those passages that deal with the law, are profitable for instruction and correction and all of that that Paul speaks of in 2 Timothy 3.16. So I'm praying that that becomes clear to you and I'm praying that you'll even put it to use as you witness and I'm praying that God will use it in your own life to show you where you fall short still and to show you also what it is that will honor God and how you can better honor God in your life knowing knowing that Jesus has done it for you and you've received that so on the record book, you have the righteousness of Christ. Now we want that righteousness to be displayed in the way that we live, in the way that we think, and in the way that we are motivated. It's got to work its way out. One is imputed and it's put on the record books. The other is imparted. It begins to work its way out of our lives. It's called sanctification. So I appreciate your time and hope this has been helpful to you, whether you're a Sunday school teacher getting ready to prepare for your class, or whether you're a person who is unable to go to a class and you want to keep up with what we're doing. My prayer is that this has been profitable and that you are blessed, and we will look forward to seeing you next week. Thank you so much for your time.